The WBEN All Local. All Local. A daily look at what's happening in Buffalo, Western New York, and the world. Good morning. I'm Susan Rose. I'm Brian Mazurowski. When will Buffalo's tap water see the return of fluoride? WBEN's Max Ferry tells us some in the city were again looking for answers yesterday. It's been nearly a year since the Buffalo News reported to the public the fact there has been little to no fluoride in Buffalo's water supply since 2015, a fact that has concerned members of the public and local government a great deal. The public and members of our Buffalo Common Council are still in the dark as to when fluoride will be returning to Buffalo's water supply, which is why representatives of the 8th District Dental Society came to Buffalo Common Council chambers for Wednesday's community. Development Committee meeting. Nine years. That's a generation of children and adults who haven't had fluoride in their water. And as Councilman Wyatt judiciously mentioned, that sometimes is the first line of defense for some kids who can't either get to the dentist or can't afford a dentist. And when that's taken out of the water, which now at this point I think is less than one part per million over the last eight years, I have sent these councilmen, as well as the Brown administration, many studies. Our our association have sent the proven effectiveness at fluoride at the right percentage, which is seven parts per million, it does the, the work. Dr. Brendan Dowd, former president of the New York State Dental Association. University District Councilman Rashid Wyatt mentions the lawsuits brought against the city regarding the lack of fluoride should not be used as a deterrent on sharing with the public a proper timetable on the return of fluoridation. The council has now drafted a letter to the Buffalo Water Board. I think that this is something that we have to get addressed. Um, The council has now asked for the water authority to get back to us and let us know what the timetable is. We know that this is a legal action pending, but we're not asking about the legality. We just ask about when is it going to be restored, because the longer we go, the more disenfranchised folks who don't have access to a dentist become. And so it's really very important. The full committee meeting is available to you at WBEN.com. Max Ferry. WBEN.com News. All right, Max, thank you. It's 5.04 now on WBEN. The federal student aid application process has opened up. The application known as FAFSA is now available for the 2024-2025 school year, but only on a limited basis, as the U.S. Education Department works on a redesign that's intended to make the application process easier. The redesign brings major changes, such as fewer questions, the ability to list more colleges, and availability in more languages. So it's a big process for a lot of people. Every single year, students will get their financial aid offers a little bit later than usual this year because the form hasn't been available. Miami Dolphins' Tyreek Hill left practice early yesterday after fire broke out at his mansion in Southwest Ranches, Florida. Luckily, everyone at the house, including pets, were able to get out safely. Firefighters extinguished the fire in 45 minutes but needed to go through the roof to keep it from spreading. Dolphins quarterback Tua told reporters later that he's glad his teammates' family was safe. I think the main thing is his family is, is safe. Um, his loved ones are good. Uh, he's, he's good as well. I know it's, it's a little cliche to say, but, you know, some of those things can be replaceable. But, you know, I'm, I'm just glad that a lot of his family members uh, are safe. Tyreek bought that mansion in 2022. Well, the Bills and Dolphins kick off Sunday night, winner being crowned division champions. The Bills lose. They could miss the playoffs entirely, so a lot on the line. A big topic the past few days. Stephon Diggs, his shrinking role in the offense. Josh Allen commenting on that. He's been fantastic. He's been a true professional about it. Obviously, times where he wants the ball, and deservedly so. You know, he's one of the best, if not the best, receivers in the game, and he gets a lot of attention from defenses. So sometimes it's just how it plays out, but I got to be 
be better in that aspect too. Alan there talking about getting Diggs the ball a little bit more. It's been talked about uh, quite a bit over the past uh, several days, especially over the past two weeks with the passing game not looking, of course, as we all hope it would look despite the wins. Bills and Dolphins kick off Sunday night at 8.20. You know, a little bit later on this morning, we're going to be going down to Miami to talk with the head of the Bills backers chapter in Miami about what's got to be a big week for them. It's a big week every year because there's so many Bills fans who make the trip. But this is like a playoff. They're really, it's got to be fun for them because over the past few years, you've had so uh, some big time games because the Bills were good. You've had the game now. What is that? Six years ago, where you know they won as part of the road to get into the playoffs for the first time in forever. And now you have tonight, which it's or tonight this weekend, we wish. which is the biggest game in the country. It's the season right. finale of the NFL. Uh, win and win the division. Got to be pretty exciting to be a Bills fan in Miami because you've had some really good ones to watch over the past few years. Plus, I saw this morning that there may be more Bills fans at Hard Rock than Dolphins You know, I saw fans. that. How did... I don't believe it. Oh, I believe it. I, I don't know how they get those I mean, numbers. I, I just believe it off any time the Bills are there. I, I guess I just don't believe any time I see any of those reports. Shout out Dan and Clarence. <laughs> it's based on, like, something crazy. Right. Yeah, I don't know. Still, you know there's going to be a lot of yeah, it's gonna be red and blue there. Always, always a ton of Bills fans there. But I'd have great. to imagine Miami's been, I mean, it's not like they're Carolina or Atlanta. No, no they're playing yeah. to have another home game. They're, but they're <laughs> playing in front of a bunch of fans like yeah. every single week. It's not yeah. like they have an empty stadium, right. So, which you couldn't always say that about the Dolphins. But anyways, we'll be going down to Miami a little bit later on this morning talking with the Bills backers how it looks like down there. Other big news today, more than 900 pages of court documents unsealed last night that name people connected to Jeffrey Epstein. Last month, a federal judge ruled the names of Epstein's alleged victims and those connected to him must be made public. Nancy Chen has more. Nearly 190 J. Doe's were mentioned uh, in these documents. They're tied to a civil lawsuit against Epstein's accomplice, Ghislaine Maxwell, who is now serving a 20-year prison sentence for helping Epstein groom and sexually abuse underage girls. Her accuser, Virginia Dufresne, says she was trafficked when she was 17 to Britain's Prince Andrew, who has denied her allegations. They settled out of court in 2022. Epstein was indicted on federal sex trafficking charges, died while in prison shortly after. We bought a lot of cars in 2023. High prices, rising interest rates, and historic UAW strike, which threatened to raise them even more, and a computer chip shortage, which slowed down assembly lines to a crawl. In many cases, couldn't keep Americans out of dealerships last year. Cox Automotive says 15.6 million new vehicles were sold nationwide in 2023. That's up 12 percent from the year before. It's also the biggest increase in over a decade. Daria Albinger, ABC News. I, the money spent on cars right. uh, every single year. It's absolutely crazy. Starbucks uh, changing some of their policies. They're expanding where 
you can bring a reusable cup. You can now bring your own reusable cup to the Starbucks drive-through. You tell the barista when you order that you have your own mug, and then you give it to them at the window. They make your drink and then give it back in a contactless vessel. Two things, though: they're not your mom and won't wash your cup for you, so bring it clean already. And they won't take cups bigger than forty ounces. Starbucks says the changes are part of a larger cultural movement to shift toward reusables and away from single. Use plastics. Stacy Lynn, CBS News. That's kind of gross, right? I if you if you have a dirty cup in your car and you're passing it. Well, through. do they take it? They said they're not going to clean it for you. Right. I think they'll take but, it. But uh, she didn't clarify. Do they take it or not? I, Just put your drink on the, in the dirty glass. Yeah, I mean, I whatever. To me, it's gro- gross for who? You're the one drinking maybe, it. Maybe the worker. It's not like they're taking your cup and giving it to somebody yeah. else. Yeah, but they're putting their frother stick yeah. in your dirty cup. No, I just don't like it. No thanks, I'm good. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, I, I I don't frequent Starbucks, so I'm okay. But yeah, I just don't want to like any anything that's a bring your own at a restaurant. Yeah. No, it's not a good like, idea. Bring your own cup to Starbucks. No, bring your own silverware to McDonald's to like. I, no. I came here for the stuff. I didn't come here because I want to bring my own stuff. You see, like trendy restaurants. You ever hear? I remember one time I was out, um, me and my wife, and we were going somewhere with friends. It was like, oh, well, there is this one place, new, it's like kind of cool. Um, you bring, you can bring your own uh, beer, like it's a BYO. They don't have the liquor license yet. Uh, and you don't, like, they don't have, like, tables. You sit down, and it's like a, you know, I don't know, some sort of cuisine. Like, you sit on pillows, like, around the thing. and oh. So I'm like, hang on a second. So I, <laughs> I get it. I'm going to the restaurant. I'm paying you. I got to bring my own drink. I don't get a chair. I'm or sitting on the floor. Yeah. No, thanks. What's, what's, what am I doing here? I can do that at home. I right. did used to go to a bar where you would bring your own food, but that doesn't exist anymore. <laughs> But I like that. There are bars where you can order other people's food. Yeah, and, yeah, right. But I'm not going to go out and bring a sack lunch. No. To the bar, and I, I would hope the bartender would kick me out too, like Marshawn Lynch. Bill Heisler with Hannah Commercial Real Estate joining us on the WBEN Trocare College Live Line this morning. We're talking about Buffalo's tallest building, Seneca One Tower, with 1.2 million square feet of space. Doug Jamal purchased that building 10 years ago. And now they expect full capacity in April of this year. Bill, good morning. From your perspective, how big of an accomplishment is this? Good morning, Susan Bright. Nice to be with you. This is a huge accomplishment. I think in today's office environment, to be able to fill over a million square feet in the biggest building in Buffalo was a great accomplishment. And Doug Jamal seems to be the guy to be able to do it. I, did you see this coming? I, I mean, and it's not just offices, right, that uh, are inside that building, but it was at, I mean, zero. It was dark. It was empty for so long. And you looked at the building itself, and it just didn't seem like it really had the fit for almost anything at all. And this total transformation's happened. How unlikely was that? Quite unlikely, but we all saw it, starting with, with painting the building. And Doug kind of really came in and reimagined what that uh, structure, which was not arch- um, architecturally beautiful, uh, into something really great. And he has built a community down there, uh, mixed use, absolutely. We have apartments down there, eating and drinking establishments, offices. 
And, uh, yeah, just amazed he's been able to fill that building. Uh, but he's really recreated it. It is cavernous, but if you've been there any time recently, it just seems to, to work so well. It's like a small city. Like you said, everything is there that you need, living, working, eating, working out. Um, you know, is, is this maybe just the right recipe with this multi-use that he came up with? I think so. Again, bringing a fresh perspective from out of town is always nice and, and bringing a lot of uh, private money, which is nice as well. Um, but yeah, just kind of changing the way that we've done things around here. And you can see the different pockets he's creating, whether it's down at Seneca One or areas in town. He really makes these little micro communities uh, sustainable all by themselves. And it's really great to see and refreshing in Buffalo. Now, I'm wondering on the impact on Buffalo as a whole with uh, the tower up and running. You know, on one hand, you have, it's obviously, you need the tallest building in Buffalo, the most visible building to have life in it, to be thriving. Uh, on the other, it's not as if these are all new uh, jobs, uh, new people moving to Buffalo who are now taking up space in the building, right? I, I mean, they did come from other offices that are now closed down and vacant and, you know, kind of sucking up some of the uh, uh, people who were residing in other spots of the city. What do you make of that impact on the city as a whole? Well, yeah, we are, um, you know, robbing for Peter to pay Paul a little bit, but they are doing a good job in Buffalo of attracting some good out-of-town companies. But at Seneca uh, One specifically, you know, M&T has taken over 30, 330 square feet in this well, 1.2 million square foot building. Uh, now we have Highmark moving over in April. Uh, they're moving out of a 470,000 square feet foot building. It's going to be pretty much vacant, uh, and they're going to occupy five floors. So, yeah, we're moving over there. So now the uh, trick's going to be, what do we do with the building down on Genesee Street, where Highmark was, uh, and filling that and trying to attract some out-of-town people. I think that would be our best bet. Uh, keep bringing in the Odoos and companies like that uh, to fill that type of building and see what they can do down there. Bill, what does office vacancy look like now in the city of Buffalo, even compared to a few years ago? Yeah, that's the most challenging market still for us in commercial real estate. Vacancies somewhere around 8 to 12% reportedly. I think if we factor in those companies that are not occupying their space, still have a lease and trying to sublease it, we're probably something over 15% in the office market. Does that change at all? You know, we've heard it's been a changing landscape, right? A lot of places are saying, all right, we got to come back to work in person, at least a few days a week. The total remote isn't working. Yet still we're talking about these office spaces being pretty empty or available. Is it a changing picture in favor of filling those spaces or maybe not so much? A changing picture. People are downsizing a little bit. You're right. They don't need as much space. People are only coming in two, three days a week. Uh, you need less space. So we're starting to see some of that. That's really starting to come true that these three to five year leases are now becoming expired and people are downsizing, uh, moving to different locations. Some are working remote. I'm an office guy. I love all my people in the office. Um, but I think it is slowly changing, but I'm not sure we'll ever get it fully back. So you do need to reimagine some of these spaces and what we're going to do with them and uh, how we can attract our workers back to the office. What about living downtown? Um, we understand that the apartments, are they're all full at Seneca One. You know, there's lots of people living downtown now that weren't there five, ten years ago. 
That's a huge shift, a very big shift. You wonder how many apartments are too many. Um, but with all the apartments come some good amenities. So we're getting better retail downtown. We're getting more eating and drinking establishments downtown. Entertainment, uh, you can see, is opening downtown. So that's all positive. Um, so I think, yeah, people living downtown is a good thing. Uh, they want to work, play downtown. So uh, let's do it. We've heard that for a long time, right? The need to make a downtown, quote unquote, neighborhood feel. Uh, that's what uh, the city was talking about when bringing in a, a grocery store, why they felt it was so important to kind of keep that up and running. Have they achieved it to an extent? And if not, what still needs to be done in your mind to get that neighborhood feel, to really make it a, a community that could be thriving without the workers on a Monday through Friday basis? Yeah, I think just keep doing what they're doing. Uh, it's too early to tell the final result. They tried some supermarkets downtown which had mixed results. So maybe we don't have the density of population living down there or wanting those services. Uh, but once you have strong neighborhoods, then you have strong retail and services. So I think Buffalo's still kind of building out that strong neighborhood and in downtown, which isn't as tight as a, a suburb, for example. But uh, yeah, just keep attracting the you know, people downtown, the young people, the new companies coming in town. You see an awful lot of that. They want to attract the, again, the cool workspace, the creative workspace. The, uh, I can walk to, walk to work. I don't need a car or I just need a bicycle. So I think Buffalo's on the right track developing all that stuff, and we just got to keep on it. Well, you know, as you see Seneca One now approaching full occupancy, what else are you looking at downtown? What's the next building to come back? Do you think? I think everyone's keeping an eye on the Statler. You know, that's always been a, a gem in downtown. That's starting to make its way back, starting to fill some of the upper floors would be the next big thing. Uh, and then the whole Ellicott District, you know, another project Douglas Jamal's doing, building another little micro neighborhood down there. Uh, once he does the Mohawk ramp and uh, Simon buildings, um, again, he's going to have another little pocket down there that will be completely different than what he's done down in the Seneca One area. Um, it's just a different neighborhood, but we'll still have a lot of the same population, I think, demographics down that way. Um, so, yeah, keep going, Doug. Lots to watch out for. Hey, uh, Bill, thanks so much. Bill Heisler joining us on the Trocare College Live Line this morning talking about some of the moves downtown. Seneca One, about to be uh, fully occupied. Who can believe that? In April. That's the WBEN All Local. All new episodes are made available each weekday morning. Produced by the award-winning WBEN Newsroom.